hello there, and welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick. It's a beautiful day. I even see a little bit of sunshine outside the studio. So that's that's all good. It's all improvement, all getting us closer to warmer times. Springtime, maybe? Oh. If only. <laughs> It's good to have you on the show, and welcome to you if you are a new listener. We've seen quite a few people uh, joining the community as new members on uh, on Discord and on Patreon, and also quite a few people who are, for the first time, listening to my podcast because they've been uh, watching my videos on YouTube. The YouTube channel has... Uh, gone through another growth spurt. This is also thanks to one of my videos that went viral. Um, So I had about 75,000 viewers of one very, very short video. Now, of course, that's just a a little viral thing that uh, remains to be seen how many of those people will actually join the community and, and return to the channel. But it's still good to see that Every once in a while, as long as you're consistent, as long as you offer something that people actually are interested in, it's possible to reach larger amounts of people and hopefully a percentage of those people will also discover the rest of the stuff that I do, among other things, this podcast. So if you're listening for the first time, what is this show about? Well, it's a mix of stuff that I'm passionate about. So we'll talk about movies and TV shows, uh, also about what's happening in the world. I I talk about faith. I'm a Catholic priest, in case you missed that. And uh, I I review books that I've read. Um, we talk about science, about technology, and what is the uh, the the unifying trait of that? Well, it's just me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just the stuff that I like to talk about and hopefully you're interested in. And it's very well possible that you may um, prefer me to talk about certain topics. But I guess that since it's a mix and it changes every five minutes or so, uh, there is something in it for for everyone. So consider this uh, a little bit like a um, uh, something like, like a, a radio channel where they play songs and you like most of the songs. You have a few favorites and a few other songs that you skip through. You can do the same with this podcast. So hopefully you will enjoy what I do here. You know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. We are getting to, uh, or we're, we're actually approaching better times. It's getting better uh, when it comes to COVID. Uh, I've I've heard from so many people in my direct environment, parishioners, friends, family members, that they've all had this newer uh, variant of COVID, the uh, Omicron variant. But most of them were pretty much okay. Yes, they were sick and definitely sicker than just a, a cough or a bit of a headache. So it's still nasty, but they didn't end up in the hospital. And apparently that is still the trend, despite the fact that the, the virus itself is still spreading very quickly. This seems to be one of those variants in the end, fa- end phase of a virus where it just tries to survive and it knows in a certain way, because of course the virus itself is, is, is not our. It's not an entity, it has no conscience, but it is adapting itself uh, through the laws of evolution to become milder so it can actually continue to spread over time. So it's it's already starting to look as if this is becoming endemic, which means that we can start to live with it. 
It also means that since there is no uh, extra pressure on the hospitals, we can start to hope that uh, now that the weather is improving and we're approaching springtime and later on summertime, that things will, at least for the the near future, will return more or less to normal, which for me is very, very positive because it means I can travel again if that happens that's one of the the only things that i miss i've gone through a very rough year last year so many things changing work-wise i moved to another house there was just so much going on um and because of that and because of covid i haven't been able to travel at all except for you know little (laughs) trips on my bike but i haven't been to uh, to italy to rome i haven't been filming outside of the country and this is something that I, I, I miss because it, it gives me so much input. Usually when I travel, and especially if I travel for work, when I film documentaries, I meet so many people. I, there are so many adventures. And that gives me fuel. That gives me stories to talk about and to share with you here on the podcast, to share with my parishioners during my homilies, with friends when we're having uh, just some time together. And I, I, I feel that it is time I'm currently working very hard on creating a, a, a new workflow for the various projects that I do. Basically, just three big pro- big areas of interest right now. We've got the documentary making, we've got the podcasts, and you've got the YouTube channel. And then, of course, I've got my work as a priest here in the parishes around Wageningen. And, uh, but the three main pillars of my work, documentaries, podcasts, and YouTube, that is still a it's still a challenge to to find a good workflow and a balance so that it, I can feed those three creative artistic venues. That's how I kind of look at them. And at the same time, I don't burn out, I don't overwork, and I keep enough time to stay fit and healthy and have time to pray, read books, and sleep. So, But every week, I feel like I'm making more progress, and I'm starting to get to the point where, yeah, I will have actually a week or maybe even two weeks uh, in the next couple of weeks where I can go and travel and film something. I don't know if it's going to be a full-fledged documentary or if it's just going to be kind of this travel movie that I'm going to film. But I'm already looking at certain flights. Right now, a lot of the countries are there that I, where I would like to travel are still closed or it's you know very cumbersome to travel there. But maybe in a few weeks from now, when the, this part of the world will start to open again, I may be able to go travel and then take you along for the ride. Uh, that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to to experiment with is the, the, the patrons that are supporting my documentary efforts that I can actually have, have them participate in a process by, by vlogging and doing something special for them um, because I want them to feel ownership of the work that I do. I want to feel that they, they've been with me on that journey, not just when they are watching the end product, but these patrons are in a certain way investing in, and are stakeholders in the project. So I also want to give them the experience of kind of looking behind the scenes how do how does this work what what else happens and it, not everything that happens will ultimately end up in the documentary so i i'm really eager to start experimenting with that and for me the most easy way to do this is to travel somewhere by myself that 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 way i can just keep the costs low so i'm thinking maybe i'll just return to spain to the camino or uh, i'll just go to rome and make a short 
travel documentary there. There's so many places that I haven't explored yet. So many things that I that I think I can I can I can implement I can include in a in a story now that I'm much better at storytelling visually. So um, those are two options. Or maybe I'll just do something completely new. I, another country that I really want to go back to maybe in springtime is is Ireland. Um, it's such a gorgeous country, and I kind of feel like I, I would dare to go there by myself right now. I've never been there alone. I've always been there with friends on vacation. Um, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a very nice country. But but Ireland has been closed because of COVID for so much time. Um, but I, I'd love to go there because there are so many stories to tell, even Star Wars stories. You still have that island there where they filmed the scenes from from The Last Jedi and the final scene of uh, The Force Awakens. And there is there's a fascinating background of that island. So, gosh, I think if I would uh, go there with a, a film crew, I probably wouldn't be welcome or it would be very difficult to organize if I just go there with my phone <laughs> and visit. I don't think it's much of a problem. Anyway, I've got some friends uh, also that are listening to this podcast. I'm thinking of Riley uh, Blanton, who's been there with his sister, I think, uh, a couple of years ago. And um, so maybe I'll inquire how they did that and how that works. But that's just that's another idea. I want to start simple and then start to build up from there. Uh, do something that I'm familiar with, Ireland. I'm I'm quite at home there now uh italy rome of course is a place that i'm familiar with parts of france i speak french very well so that wouldn't be too difficult i can even go there by car that's one of the advantages of going to france or or germany i can just i don't even have to book a flight i can just take my car and and drive there um so there are a few options and i'm so excited that i'm finally getting at the stage where i've got my work under control and i can start dreaming up these new projects that I've been longing to do for years. Of course, I will let you know when that happens. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. If you're one of my patrons and you've listened to last week's episode of Father Roderick to the Max, you ha- you have already heard my final assessment of the last season of the week, or the, well, the first season. <laughs> it's the last episode of the first season of Wheel of Time on Amazon Prime. Um, I really enjoy those books. I'm still reading them, and I was actually quite impressed by what they were able to do for television, even though. They had some setbacks and there were some challenges, but um, I talk about that in, in in Father Roderick to the Max. But I'm I'm kind of done with that series. Um, the upcoming series about the Lord of the Rings or the Rings of Power that's only going to premiere in in September. The Book of Boba Fett is done. We still have some time to wait for Obi Wan Kenobi. So I was looking for a new a new series that I wanted to binge watch and finish, and I think I've made my choice. I'm finally going to finish watching the last Airbender television series. It was developed in 2004 before for uh, the Children's Channel Nickelodeon, but uh, almost everyone agrees this is not just for kids. This is an epic story, and it's super original. It looks a bit like 
Japanese anime, but it is American uh, in, in 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 the way it was conceived. Um, it's it's super funny. It's very entertaining. I've seen most of the first season now, and I'm I'm pretty much hooked. And so I'm watching that on on Prime. Uh, thankfully, they've also remastered it. For a long time, it was only available on DVD or in in low resolution SD quality. But they've been uh, remastering that, and and I have actually got the entire Blu-ray set. Um, and the image is amazing. It looks so much better than on TV. It was always always in this four by three aspect ratio. Um, kind of, I'm not sure if the original was widescreen. I don't think so. But just seeing it in full HD on a Blu-ray, um, it's it's amazing. The sound also is much better on Blu-ray than it ever has been. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of watching, I'm dividing it between um, Prime, just watching the streaming version and then watching the Blu-rays because there are some extras on the Blu-rays that are also very interesting. And it's such a fun story. And it's kind of hard to to believe that this it dates back all the way to 2004. In fact, I found the first trailer that they made before they released this, before the premiere on Nickelodeon. And if you watch this early trailer, so that this is almost 20 years ago, it still feels and sounds fresh. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the firebenders attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered a new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. The problem is, this Avatar is still a kid. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. So what I really like about the series is that it is um, classic storytelling. It is about a, a redeemer, a messiah, an archetype. In the sense that it's this avatar is kind of a reincarnation of a previous avatar. And they have to kind of bring balance to the world with the elements. So all those ingredients are very familiar. But it completely turns the trope upside down by introducing us to a, a, a messiah who still is a kid and has everything to learn and definitely has a ton of flaws and is very much behaving like a real child, even though he is super talented. And then what I also love is that the people around him are not just, you know, part of his company and they all look in awe how this guy is saving the world. No, in many ways, they're way more talented and more mature than the Avatar is. And so it creates a, a super interesting dynamic between the main characters uh, that travel the world so that the Avatar can start to learn to not only master the elements, but more importantly, to form his character and to grow into this role as Redeemer that everybody expects of him. And so you'll constantly have that interplay between what people expect based on these prophecies and this real avatar it's almost as if jesus was just a kid <laughs> you know instead of 
this this super perfect human being um and of course jesus was perfect uh, but at the same time he was also fully human so did jesus sin no that's the only thing that jesus didn't do but did he have to learn things? Was Jesus able to uh, immediately use a knife and fork for eating uh, because it was just divinely inspired? No, he needed his parents to do that for him. So Mary and Joseph have a very important role, and in a certain way, especially when Jesus is still growing up, they have that same relationship to him as these other two kids have towards the Avatar. Um there's just so much that he needs to learn. But over time, he will grow into that vocation, that, that calling to redeem the world. He just wants to need other people to, to make him into this, this Messiah in a certain way. That is, has always been fascinating to me when it comes to the gospel. This, is this, this idea that even though Jesus is the Son of God, and a lot of the prophecies, well, all of the prophecies are fulfilled. It's never in the in the way that you would see it in in classic mythology, where you know they're immediate heroes. Um, th- there, there is a lot to learn for Jesus, and uh, there there are a few stories that we know from the gospel where in, indeed his parents have to correct him when when he gets lost in Jerusalem for three days, and he's in, at the temple. His parents are like. Don't do this anymore. <laughs> and then it, the, 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 the gospel specifies from that moment on, Jesus was obedient. So he did what his parents told him to do. That is a glimpse of this growth that you see of the humanity of Jesus, where he still had to, he needed his parents. He, the, having parents that teach you is part of human existence, is part of how human beings grow. So he couldn't be fully human without that aspect of growth. Um, so it's, it's funny to see that mirrored here in, in this very entertaining, uh, series that still looks because it's animation. It doesn't look dated at all. Now they are working on a live action series based on the same story. Um, unfortunately the original, uh, creators of the avatar animated series have copped out, bowed out because of creative differences, which basically means that they didn't agree with the way in which they were retelling this story but that has happened in the past before it doesn't really necessarily mean that it's going to be a bad show the same happened with uh, the solo movie where in the middle of the process that the, the two directors had to uh, walk away or were sent away we don't really have the details and thanks to ron howard it still became a, a really entertaining movie actually much better than most people gave it credit for so um creative differences don't really mean anything. You have to always wait for the end result. So I'm I'm having high hopes that they will do a good job with uh, with Avatar: The Last Airbender. But in the meantime, I'm just enjoying the series, and it's great. And I can't wait to see how it all ends, so I can finally start reading um, articles about it. And there are, are certain podcasts that I've been saving for multiple years now of, of some of my favorite podcast uh, hosts when it comes to. TV and movie analysis, and they've done these deep dives into the last Airbender animated series, and I never dared to listen to it because I hadn't seen much of the series yet. So that's also something that 
I usually enjoy when I finally saw the... It's like the Wheel of Time. I finally finished the first season, and now I can go and watch all those YouTube commentaries, and I'm having a blast. Yeah, I'm two months late. But I've been busy. <laughs> Catholics rock! It's time for a short visit to the Peculiar Bunch. This is the place where I share with you all these weird things that Catholics do and that you may have been curious about. This can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And in today's episode, I want to talk a little bit about the most important thing that I learned in theology. Now, I've been studying theology for five years. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. But despite the fact that you can imagine that during those five years, I've done a lot of research and learned so many different things. And it's a, such a big, big world, the world of theology. Uh, but there is one very fundamental principle that I wanted to share with you today uh, that I think is, is so helpful to, to look at the world in general, to look at other people, to look at your own life. And that is the concept of God as a mystery. This is, uh, is an extremely important um, thing to understand when it comes to theology. Theology is, of course, the, the study of the internal logic, you could say, of everything that has to do with God, theologos. You know, so everything that, so it, it's in itself, it's different from other disciplines like, uh, I don't know, physics or chemistry, in the sense that it it speaks about things that are not provable in in um uh, in a deductive way, or you can't measure God. You can't take a sample of the Holy Spirit and put it under a microscope and then study it. It talks about the things that are, by nature, beyond the physical world. God is not part of creation. He is the creator. So that And that sets Christianity apart from a lot of other, most, a majority of other religions, where oftentimes gods and demigods are portrayed as basically just humans with uh, superpowers, but they are still very much part of creation, whereas God, in at least in the Christian sense, in Christian uh, theology, and also from a philo philosophical point of view, God is by nature metaphysical. If he would be just part of this world, um, it would not be God because God is uncreated. Now, the, of course, the, 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 the problem starts with the incarnation, where this metaphysical God, this God that is beyond his creation, the God who describes himself as he who is, instead of God is this or that. Um, the, when we say something is, the being, that is what God is. He is the being of everything. <laughs> he is the, the, uh, the essay, as we would say in, in Latin. But when God becomes man in Jesus Christ, of course, he does have a body. He becomes part of our material, physical world. He even dies. And yet, there's also transcendence in him. He's also not just human. He is both man and God. How does that work? Well, that brings me to the most important thing to understand as a theologian, and that is 
we don't have a clue. <laughs> it's a mystery. It's an enigma. We have no answer how that works. And that is in itself not a problem. There are so many things in our lives that we don't understand. And yet we work with it every day. I have no clue how my induction uh, cooking top stove thing works. I, eh, no idea. But I work with it every day. And I feel I have that thing totally under control and I can cook with it and do so many things. I have no idea how it works. I don't know how a microchip works, but I work with computers day and night. Um, so that in itself, something that is that we that I don't understand doesn't mean that it isn't real or that I can't acknowledge it. And so that's true for God as well. The, the, the thing the thing to understand about God is that because he's metaphysical, I cannot describe him in the way that I can describe and understand a lot of other tangible things. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's irrational. Um, that, that is why philosophy and, theolo and theology exist. It is to still have a rational debate about things that are beyond our grasp. And if God is eternal, if God is the source of truth and love and, and beauty then of course I cannot fit it inside my little brain. There's this nice story that uh, St. Augustine uh, tells uh, about this boy that he meets on the beach and who is, he dug a, a hole in the sand and then he's carrying water in a bucket from the sea to his little um, little hole. And, and then uh, St. Augustine asks the boy, what are you doing? Um, I'm putting the sea into the hole that I just dug. And then St. Augustine says, but that probably won't fit. And then the kid says, hey, that's kind of the same with you and God. You try to understand the Trinity and you try to, 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 to uh, com completely you know, grasp that with your mind. But how if the sea doesn't fit in this little hole, then of course the mystery of God is way too big to fit inside your tiny little brain. So that is a fundamental awareness that theology has, that the, the essence of God, who he is, the essay of God, will always escape our comprehension. And so God is, that's why we call God a mystery. If you understand it, it's not God. That's very important. I was uh, listening to an interview with Stephen Fry on YouTube uh, yesterday. And Stephen Fry, you may know this, is very, very um, openly atheistic. In fact, it goes farther than that. He's not just agnostic, like, I don't know if God exists or not. I, am not, I don't care. No, he is opposed to the idea of God because, and his, his uh, reasoning is, if God were real, it's a monster. How can God create a world that is so rotten that children die, that, that, that people have to suffer? And usually when someone is so angry about this and so emotional about this, it's because this touches upon his own life. Stephen Fry has a, a, a number of... There's great suffering in his life. He's suffering from, from depression, um, he uh, is uh, he is gay and was for a long time was unable to talk about that. Um, so there, you, you can sense this is personal for him, and he's very resentful. He's so resentful that 
he's almost talking as if God existed. And, and he almost talks about God as if he hopes that he exists, so he can just go and yell at God for, for what he has done. Um, but I think it makes a fundamental theological mistake, that type of reasoning, because it's identifying God as if God was a human being, as if he was part of this world. And um, God by itself is not like us. If there's one thing we know about God is that he is not a monster like we oftentimes are, that he's not there to make our lives miserable, that he's not like a, a dictator. Who the, All the negative things that we attribute to, to other people and that we see in other people, if we say, if we project that on God, then we certain we are certain that we're not talking about God. So what theology does is to formulate what we don't know and what we can't say or what you shouldn't say about God. So the way of negative theology is fundamental in, in the approach of theology towards um, trying to understand things about faith. It's much easier for us to understand what God is not than to say what God is. And so it's important for theologians to always stay humble. There are so many questions where I, as a theologian and a philosopher, have to say, even though I've got my master's and I'm supposed to know this stuff, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I can tell you what I believe is not the case. I don't believe that God is a dictator or a cruel monster who created everything so just to make us suffer or that he's not intervening because he just likes to see us suffer. No. If there's one thing that you see in these stories, and that's why the Bible often talks about these deeper things and questions in stories because stories leave room. They don't, it's, they're not formulas. Um, they're not definitions. It, a story tries to evoke something. Well, one of the most important things that the first story in the Bible does, Genesis, the origin of the world, is to say that God was not the one who introduced evil in the world. Evil was a consequence of the gift that God gave to his creatures, both the angels, pure spirits, and humans, spirit and body, of free will. Free will is the one thing you need for love to be possible. If we were robots, then yes, the world would probably not be broken. If God is such a good creator, um, he could have programmed everything and it would just be a fantastic, beautiful machine without a flaw. But God did not want that. He wanted us to be able to choose because love can only exist if it's a free choice. But with the introduction, with the gift of freedom, he also included a major risk. And that is that people, even though he was full of love and he wanted his children to love one another and to love him, there was this possibility that they would turn away. And according to the book of Genesis, the first creatures to turn from God were certain angels. Not all of them, but certain angels turned away from God and turned against him. And it was an immediate, definitive choice because they're pure spirits. They're not bound to time. So the choice is immediate and the choice is final. And so that, and then those angels in the story are starting to corrupt mankind as well. And that is how Adam and Eve choose to act against the will of their creator. And that 
is when literally all hell breaks loose and the world starts to break. And sin has cosmic consequences. And the world is no longer the world that God intended. It still clearly has his imprint. And there's a lot of good and there's a lot of beautiful, a lot of truth in the world. But there's also evil and there's also pain and suffering. But instead of wanting that and being the one who is directing all that, God is the one who wants to save us from that. And that's why he sent his son to suffer that fate. So I'm always thinking if Stephen Fry would have been able to talk with Jesus, <laughs> he would see that even God himself doesn't spare his own son from the consequences of that evil. But he wants to save us from it. And if you've seen the sacrifice, if you realize what Jesus does, and that it is God's only son who does that, I can no longer be angry with God. I can say to God, I don't understand it, and why? And those are all legitimate questions. That's just what theology does, always asking questions. Why? I don't get it. And it's a good thing I don't get it, because I'm not God. <laughs> but I still have the ability, I, God still gave me a brain, so I can ask questions. But the ultimate answer eludes me, because I'm just human. It doesn't relieve me from my duty to try to understand it, to try to grow. But there's this one metaphor that really helped me to understand this and comes from Hans Urs von Balthasar, a Swiss theologian, and he says it's like circling a city. You see all these markers and they point you to the center of the city and then you follow this and you say, oh, I got to go here. And, and you start to see a little bit more of the center of the city. But you keep circling around it. You will never reach the center of the city. That will remain a mystery forever. But there are a lot of signs that are putting you closer to that center, closer to the mystery, but you will never reach the heart of the city, which is God. That is a mystery that you will be unable to contain. And that is, that's why theology is such a fascinating discipline, because you keep searching and there's always more to discover, which in itself is so cool. You never get bored of God. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? Um, I want to talk about a fantastic book that I read, and it's called The Storyteller's Secret. It's written by Carnine Gallo. And he wrote one other book that I've uh, greatly enjoyed and I can highly recommend, and it's called Talk Like Ted. Now, you all know these TED Talks, and I'm always amazed to see how in the span of 10, 12 minutes, uh, speakers can, can uh, sometimes convey a message with so much punch, and, and it's so life-changing. And that book, Talk Like TED, is all about deconstructing the most successful TED Talks and show you how it's done. How can you tell a compelling story that people will want to listen to from the first second to the last second? And because of that restriction, that time restriction that Ted gives to the speakers, and you can literally not go over time with Ted, you are forced to employ all your rhetorical skills to say what you want to say and with a maximum impact. And you know, some Ted Talks are better than the others, but uh, this book really 
helps you to understand what works and then you can apply that to your own communication, your own public speaking. This book is almost a sequel. It's called The Storyteller's Secret and it, it goes more in depth and gives a ton of examples on how to use stories to have maximum impact. And I, this is something that I've intuitively worked with all my life. I love stories and I've been a storyteller almost, almost by instinct. But I've also been oftentimes a very boring speaker who just ramble and be just like, oh, let, let me just give you the 12 points to remember. And I'm more and more after reading this book convinced that I need to stop doing that. I did that a lot with, with um, uh, the YouTube videos where I would create these lists because it's easy. You know, you just write down a number of opinions and then you just go through that list and that's it. And I noticed uh, when looking at the statistics that very often that those types of videos would lose their viewers after two or three minutes, depending on the topic. And only a fraction of the people would watch all the way to the end, sometimes less than 1%. So what that taught me was that that type of, of storytelling, or it's not even storytelling, though that type of communication does not work. It works a little bit. But it can be more effective. And so that my, my, my goal, my quest is to, to master the art of storytelling so that people will not want to stop watching until they've seen the end of the, video, of the story. And the only way to accomplish that is by visual and verbal storytelling. And creating a good story, that's what this book is all about. What is the storyteller's secret? How do these big, famous storytellers do it? And there are many different aspects. There are also many different types of stories. So you also have to discover what is your what kind of storytelling works best for you. But there are definitely some, some common characteristics of a good story. And we also know from research what the stories are that people like to hear the most. It's not by accident. A lot of films and books all kind of tell the same story with different characters in different circumstances. In many ways, the Star Wars story is like the Arthurian legend. It's just with different types of swords and different people in different times and different universe. But it is, in its principle, it touches on the same story beats. And discovering the secret of what makes a good story is almost a proven uh, recipe formula. It's a, it's a guarantee that the story will work. Now, of course, at times you will need to break invention and do something that people don't expect to keep the story interesting, but that can also be a deliberate choice. What I learned from this book is that storytelling should be intentional. You have to know what you do. You have to... And this is something you can absolutely learn. And I've starting. I've started to apply this to my homilies, and I talk about that in uh, in the walk. And I've I've seen it work. I get feedback after mass where people tell me that they've been riveted by the homily, and uh, and I'm thinking it's actually so simple. It's really not much work. It's actually a lot easier to to uh, use stories for a homily than to just have this theoretical. Um, talk for for 10 minutes or 15 minutes and so i i have a very big disagreement with pope francis when he says the only way to fix homilies in the catholic church is by making them shorter he keeps saying that time and again is like um, a homily should just be seven minutes otherwise people will fall asleep and i'm thinking no that's not true 
if you master the art of storytelling, if that is what we learn as priests and deacons and whoever else is trying to convey the Christian message, if we rediscover the power of storytelling, then it doesn't matter how long your homily is. As long as it's a good story, people will listen. So that is what we need to learn. It's not about mastering the time, even though it can help in the beginning to limit yourself, just like TED Talks. It can only be, what is it, 12 minutes? And so it forces you to construct it well and to think to leave out a lot of stuff and i think with homilies that's probably the the something that we, we should also do as priests but it's much more important to think about how can i tell a story that people will want to continue to listen to and want to know how this ends and so uh, highly recommended, not just for people that want to become writers or uh, want to make videos, but if you're a priest or you have to do any type of public speaking, even even maybe in education, you can use stories and, and kids will remember the story so much better than they will remember a theory. If there had been more storytelling in my life during my educational uh, years, I would be so much wiser. The scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. We have our first photographs of the James Webb Telescope. How cool is that? I've seen two photos. One shows uh, uh, the, the photo of a star, a very bright star. And we have 18 versions of that photo. Every mirror has been making one photo of that star. Now, this is because the mirrors themselves have not been aligned. So the way it works is that the telescope consists of a number of smaller mirrors and they will all reflect an image to one uh, collection mirror, you could say, who's at the opposite end of it. And because you have got all these different mirrors, it can be so much more, it can, can, there's so much more information that these different mirrors can give. And if you combine all that, you will get fantastic images that we've un, been unable to make uh, in, in the past. Another thing is that this, this uh, satellite telescope, in order to be effective, has to be extremely cold. That's why it has this solar screen that shields it from the warmth of the sun. And it's also in an orbit um, that is uh, as far away as possible from the sun. So the less heat, the more you will see. And because you have these different mirrors and they've not been aligned yet, uh, they showed us these 18 photos of the same star in itself. Not very spectacular, but still very cool to see that it works. And then they did another photo, which was even cooler. And that is a photo taken by the collection mirror, the one that's on the opposite side end of all these smaller mirrors. And that mirror made a selfie of the Webb Telescope, and it's just fantastic. I'll include a link in the show notes so you can look for it yourself. But it's it's just amazing to see the first photo of this device that is just looking so cool. And we've only seen CGI uh, simulations of of the of the process. This is the first physical proof that we have that everything went well so far. It's just such an incredible feat what they've been able to accomplish. Amazing. And I can't wait to see, of course, the first real photos once all these mirrors have been aligned. I think we're going to have a golden era of astronomy uh, news and discoveries. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you've plugged in a new device. 
and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. I finally bit the bullet and ordered myself a new keyboard and a new mouse. Uh, I know that in the past I was like, oh, but I'm only used to the American uh, layout. Um, so you've got ISO and ANSI. ANSI is the American layout where you have this, this very uh, elongated enter key. And I've learned to type on American computers. That's why I'm so used to that enter key. Um, but those are difficult to get in, in the Netherlands. And I was contemplating buying it in the United States and having it sent to me. But you pay so much nowadays because of, you know, import taxes and, 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 and whatnot, customs. So that would, well, be just very cost prohibitive. So instead, I bit the bullet. And the one thing that convinced me was, well, actually, I'm already typing on those ISO keyboards quite a bit. My MacBook that I have in front of me also has that European layout. So it's, it's got that enter key. It never bothered me. I've got um, an add-on keyboard for my iPad. I type on it every day. I use my iPad more than I use my computer. It also has this, and the, this ISO layout. So no problem there. So why... Why am I punishing myself, like postponing the, the, the purchase of a new keyboard just because of that one enter key? Um, so I, I went ahead and got a nice secondhand um, Logitech MX keys, uh, MX keyboard, which is um, a, a lot better. And I, I, I used to have this Microsoft, or I still have it. It's a, a wireless Microsoft uh, keyboard. It was very cheap. I think I paid 25 bucks for it. It's very plasticky. Um, it's not really ergonomic. Um, and the the thing that annoys me the most is how many mistakes I make on that keyboard because the keys are quite spongy. And they've got a lot of key travel. And I type very, very fast. I've been typing for most of my life. I learned how to type blind uh, as a 10-year-old child. I think I was 10-year-old when, when I got my, my diploma for typing, blind typing. So I'm just one with the keyboard but i've noticed that this 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 keyboard uh, the microsoft one the cheap one has two downsides it's spongy so i make a lot of mistakes just because I, it doesn't register my keys and it's laggy um so the connection itself is kind of low quality and so very oftentimes it will just miss a, a, a key a, a, a key press and then i have to go back and and, and uh, correct it but because i type so fast i usually have to go back and use the mouse to go back to that one letter that is missing and then select a word and replace it Ugh. The problem with the mouse is also the same thing, lag. It's not very precise. It's a, it's a cheap mouse. It doesn't work really well on the table. I've got black IKEA tables. And uh, because it's a very low-resolution mouse, it will often skip because of that. So I always have to use a mouse mat. And even with the mouse mat, it often loses track. So it's, it's not a very good mouse. And it's a super simple mouse. I, I kind of like the, the overall Microsoft um, layout. But um, I saw a video where someone was using Premiere Pro with a Logitech mouse. And the one of those Logitech mouses, uh, also wireless, has programmable keys. And he was showing how he used that for editing, for video editing. So I had one key that would turn the cursor immediately into a cutting knife, which you use all the time. You go back to, you have the regular cursor, you use that to 
to place your content and then you often have to click something or use keystrokes to turn the cursor into a razor blade so you can make these precise cuts, etc. You have you oftentimes need to scroll back and forth between clips. Now, if you do that with a regular mouse, you have to make a lot of movements with your hands and do a lot of stuff all the time over and over again. Whereas the Logitech mouse had programmable buttons and a ready-made template for Adobe Premiere users where you can just have that all right there under your fingers. It has a like a secondary scroll button that you can use to go back and forth in your edit. It's got buttons to turn your cursor into uh, a razor blade or just other functions. And um, from what this YouTuber uh, told his viewers was that, that that just sped up his editing so much. And I saw that and I was like, oh, I totally understand why that works. So that's why I finally bit the bullet and got myself a new, well, not a new one. I still bought it secondhand, but it's from Amazon Warehouse. So basically, if someone opens the box and sends it back, it, they cannot sell it as new anymore. They sell it as a secondhand, but you get like 25% off, which is quite something. It's really uh, affordable. And these keyboards last for a long, long time. The previous Logitech keyboard that I had that unfortunately now no longer works because it's too dirty and you can't, you can't open it. You can't remove the key. So there's probably, I don't know, just dirt or uh, breadcrumbs underneath it, or I don't want to know why it doesn't work anymore. But that one lasted me for 10 years. So it's a pretty good investment and it's something I use every single moment of the day so i'm 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 happy that i finally convinced myself that it was time and with that ladies and gentlemen we've come to the end of this show hopefully you enjoyed it for those of you that are supporting me on patreon.com slash father roderick there will be another episode of father roderick to the max waiting for you in your feed as well as three other podcasts that are uh, getting to you for free exclusively if you're a patreon uh, supporter. So thank you so much for your time and I will talk to you next week.